Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And we're really, really excited today because we've got two guests. Um, so we've got writer, producer, director and cinematographer Scott Homan and Ryan Sutter, who is a musician, songwriter and performer and features in Scott's film Witness Underground. Uh, so a very, very warm welcome to both of you to the What Should I Think About podcast. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you very much. Absolutely welcome. Um, so there's so much I want to talk to you guys about. Um, probably the easiest way to get into the conversation is to start with the award-winning documentary film Witness Underground. So before we start talking about it, let's listen to the official trailer, Witness Underground, and it starts with some really old recordings, some found footage. Hi, I'm Rhett Sutter, and I'm doing a demonstration tape on the modern audio equipment that our studio has, just in case you want to come and record in our modern studio. Nuclear Gopher was a record label and online community of Jehovah's Witnesses who all did indie music. It just blew up, but it all stayed in these weird little bounds. Witnesses can listen to music. It's not like a footloose situation where like the preacher's like, no music ever, but stuff is frowned upon. You need to really beware of that disco beat because that disco beat invites the demons. This is not inviting the demons, it's Lionel Richie. They think that any moment now, God is going to destroy the world. At 17, I basically thought to myself, what am I doing? Is this how I want to live my life? Like, do I even believe this? If they just treated people all right and had some kooky beliefs, I could totally live with it. But friends who committed suicide because they're gay and they're a witness, everything just changed. Music was my savior at that point. The moment people started taking it seriously is the moment that someone would start to say, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. We started talking, and she's like, well, so if we split up, would you still be a witness? What I actually said was, no, I don't believe any of it anymore. And I never saw her again. Your wife. Yeah, I never physically saw her again. It was an orphan, Nuclear Gopher was very special. It created a space for people to be eccentric and creative and also as healthy as you could be in that culture. And while it lasted, it was like the best. Um, so maybe Scott, um, you could start to tell us a little bit about this film. What made you decide to, to make it? What inspired you? How did you come to do it? So I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness and I was in a band and, and I was in a, I was in a band that was not in the witnesses, but I later formed one when I kind of took the, started taking the religion a little bit more seriously. Right. And I knew of this community in Minneapolis and I had gotten connected with them and I ended up living there and becoming friends with a bunch of the artists there and the bands. So that's like my connection to the people that are in the film, but right. my motivation to make the film is because of having left the religion, my family was, my family started acting like Jehovah's Witnesses kind of like for the first time and they started shunning. Oh. They sort of, once I left, they took the religion's rules seriously for the oh. first time. And I didn't expect that at all. And it was mm. kind of shocking. And I wanted to tell that story, but it's a very difficult story. And all the media that's out there is very much attacking the witnesses 
or trying to, <clears throat> it's, it ends up either being like, uh, or it's usually two things. It, it tries to paint a picture of the witnesses as a terrible place to grow up with all these rules that you can't, that are hard to follow. And then shunning is evil. And although I agree with all those things, <laughs> that's not very comforting to watch a movie where your life is always painted in this really dark way. And then someone mm-hmm. cries at the end and you, mm-hmm. everyone in the audience is supposed to feel sad. I wanted to make something that was celebrated the good things that were in the religion while educating the, the people on the outside, maybe a little bit because we had this amazing music scene and there's this amazing, there is some good things about this culture. Like there's yeah. some, we had a lot of fun regardless of, you know, despite the issues <laughs> and I, what I wanted to really focus on was what people do on the outside because after I left the religion, I felt like that had been maybe the most important thing I'd ever done in my life. And I should be like, everyone should be celebrating. And yeah, it's like so much, it's so freeing and, and inspiring to, to be able to do whatever you want and then go and do that thing. And for yeah. me, I, I went to college and learned something I'd love to learn about and do. And then I uh, went traveling and lived abroad for a number of years and I was having the time of my life but I had this thing in the back of my head that I wanted to make. I want to tell this story, but it's such a difficult story. How do you make it? How do you make it fun? How do you tell the life after? Yeah. You also have to tell the inside and the transition. And I feel like we did those three things. I I absolutely think you did too. I mean, I, I, I think it's a fantastic film. Absolutely loved it. There's so many interesting themes. Um, you're putting together these different stories of, of, of these interesting people. Um, but you've also got themes of losing faith, finding identity, meaning, mental health, all of that. It's, it's, you know, it's an incredibly complex story, but you managed to tell it in such a, an easy to understand way. How, how did you do that? So what, what was your thinking behind how you piece all that together? I didn't know how I was going to do that. I mean, okay. So Ryan, who's here on the podcast, he came out and we did an interview and that's how we met each other was during the interview. We didn't know each other before. And it, it became the, he had the story and he has a way of telling it enthusiastically, which is important for a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of heart and emotion in it. And so I was like, okay, we're not just going to make this like one off short little video mm-hmm. with Ryan. We're, this could be the backbone of a whole film. Right. Um, and then what well, I did film with four more people, part of the community that you see in the film. Mm-hmm. James, Chad, Cindy, and Eric, who all, they all kind of knew each other growing up, but that allowed, um, well, I had this mountain of footage then because it's like two or three hours interviews for each person. So I, I talked to a, an editor I know who, and she, she took on the, the task of story editing. So she did the big, like, these are the big transitions in the film. This right. is where the, you know, this thing has to hit this moment for it to keep the story moving forward. Um, so she kind of placed all those pieces and where they need to go and then filled in the gaps with bits and then we spent about a year and a half like moving the, the pieces around together going back and forth with different versions it's a, it's a big process the what should i think about podcast has been going now since around november 2020 and we've really enjoyed doing it we release at least two shows a week it's about eight a month of course with sunday being an interview and wednesday being our discussion about a new subject each week We love you, our listeners, and we really value the interaction we have with you, and we want to keep the podcast going. Currently, I pretty much work on the podcast full-time, researching topics, booking guests, recording and editing, with Celine working part-time, doing very much the same things. So in order for us to keep going and continue to improve, we've reached that point in the life of a podcast where we have to make some decisions about how we support it financially. Most podcasts have ads, either that are delivered by the podcast hosts or from third parties that interrupt the show. We really don't want to do that. We want to keep the What Should I Think About podcast ad-free. So we're going to try something different to most podcasts. We'd like to ask you if you think this podcast is worth a pound or a dollar fifty or a euro twenty a month or whatever the equivalent is in your own currency. If you think it's worth that, we'd like to invite you to become a member or a patron for just that. So how we're doing it is we're flattening out our tiers on Patreon to just our single lowest tier. 
For those patrons, not only will you get the two public podcasts a week, but you'll also get exclusive video each month, bonus content of at least one a month and probably more, and exclusive access to the What Should I Think About Facebook private group, where you can contribute to our Ask Us Anything episodes coming up soon and talk about the show. We've got other plans too that will make your pound or dollar fifty even better value, but we can't say too much about that yet. We really want to make access to this community possible to everyone, and we think this minimal amount will do that, while providing the show with a small income in order for us to keep going. So the next few weeks we'll be flattening out our tiers on Patreon and providing all benefits through the lowest tier currently known as loss aversion for just a pound or its equivalent in your own currency. So please consider being part of our community. Thank you. The link to our Patreon page can be found in the show notes. The early drafts of the film were um, fairly significantly different. Um, There's so many more hours of, of interview footage and there's so much archival footage and so much stuff that, you know, it was, it was really a matter of like mining to, to pull it all together. And um, uh, it was an interesting thing for me to watch, like just watching that all happening was pretty cool because you know, it was like uh, I had an original about 12 page document that I wrote up and gave to Scott and said, here's, my story but uh and then also here's 400 gigabytes of archival stuff knock yourself out um but to see that actually get turned into something was pretty cool Mm. so so ryan you you did a a blog um i think early on from from the the film we hear that you wrote a Mm. blog and then it feels like it was quite a while before you revisited it again um and then obviously you're telling this story through the film how does it feel to both revisit that life and those experiences and then to watch it back how does that feel it never really went away i mean you know when you leave the witnesses and you're you have your life before and your life after it's it's different but um the first couple years um when i first started uh down that path I, I had already been doing blogging. I was already journaling online. I was already okay. writing about my life and all that stuff. Um, and then naturally, I just continued to write about what was now on my mind. And what was now on my mind was stuff that all the witnesses who were my friends on LiveJournal before WordPress and stuff like that. Like we, There was a lot of us writing and sharing writing together. They didn't want to read that then, right? So... Um, for a couple of years at first it was like, I was sharing this. I was like, have any of you guys ever wondered these things? Cause this is blowing my mind. Um, and, and I found writing was an extremely useful practice for me. So, um, and I've been writing, uh, since I was a kid. So, um, I, I just did that by nature, but at a certain point I had reached what I'm going to call like equanimity with the topic. I was still not emotionally totally set, but um, I had moved on. And the last thing I really wanted to do was be that ex-witness who spends the rest of his <laughs> life talking about the witnesses, <laughs> right? And it's, I was like, there's more to life than this. And um, if you spend the rest of your life tied to the watchtower, you're still tied to the watchtower. So yeah. um, I, I kind of made a point of getting it out of my system, moving on with my life. And so when Scott contacted me and was like, so I'm making these XJW films and, and, uh, I know about you and I want to, I want to make a movie about your thing. My first response, honestly, I did think about it a little bit before I even replied to him. Cause my first response was, do I even want to do that? Like I spend almost none of my life thinking about the witnesses at this point. It, yeah. it comes up as like a trivia question. Like what's a weird fact about a coworker that uh, you would never guess. And it's like Ryan Sutter used to be a Jehovah's witness. Um, so it was weird, but I made the choice to go ahead and jump back in because like I said, you never really away from it. It's, it is, it is who I was for the first 30 years of my life. And I was like, okay, um, I did a lot of good for a lot of people just by sharing the story. Mm -hmm. And um, 
this if if there's an upside to having lived through the stuff that I lived through, it's that other people should benefit, especially, you know, mm-hmm. if I ever considered them um brothers, sisters, family, people I care about. Like back in the in if 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 the, if we were all witnesses together at the same time at a convention 20 years ago, we would had having never met each other, we would have considered each other brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's worth it. That's a good thing. And it's um and so so it, it was it was I didn't kind of come charging back in like, hey, I'm gonna repick up witness activism. It was sure. more like, well, this is my life. It's my life story. If it's told the way Scott wanted to tell it, which was to humanize the situation and not to just, you know, beat the watchtower on the head and mm-hmm. to try to help people have compassion and empathy and understanding that and, and also just even to celebrate some stuff that I thought was really worth mm-hmm. celebrating. Like this was one of the best things that ever happened to me, too. Um, I was like, that's a movie that I can I can collaborate on. That's a movie mm-hmm. that I can work on. Um, but it was still a really, it was kind of a leap of faith for me to trust Scott cause I didn't know him at all. Right. And, um, to be able to say, okay, well, a, I'm going to risk getting myself dragged back into ex Jehovah's witness stuff that I've kind of disentangled myself from mm-hmm. and B I'm going to trust my life story to get told by a stranger. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so out. Of, yeah. <laughs> Does it kind of help because it's quite, um, it is honing in really specifically on quite a unique story as well. Because um, me and Dad were saying, we're like, we obviously know other witnesses that enjoyed music, but didn't. We were like, oh, Dad said, I can't imagine them having done any of that stuff or getting, or getting <laughs> to do that stuff. How'd um, you get away yeah. with it? Was my question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were so public. Yeah. It wasn't like we were getting away with anything. We were on the internet. Mm-hmm. We, were, sure. we were sharing everything. And it was. It was surprising to me to find out that you couldn't do it because we you couldn't find a rule we broke. There was no way to actually get us in trouble. Yeah, I want to get I want to dig into this because I think it's a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought um, maybe uh, you guys could perhaps give our listeners a little bit of an overview of the uh, of the film because um, I think most people will have seen the the trailer. Um, so that will tell them something about it. But would you be able to just give us a bit of an overview of what? of what the story is and what, what's happening in the film. I could take a stab at the structure and maybe Ryan, you can do a little more of the deep cool. detail work. So the opening act, there's like three acts <clears throat> and the opening bit explore basically does world building. What is it like to be in the Jehovah's mm-hmm. Witness community? And what is, how, do, what are the rules they live by, but also how do they do this? What kind of art are they making and showing mm-hmm. that? And then we sort of get to the section where, the second act is is Ryan's has an idea that is dangerous for him and the people around him <laughs> and exploring what it is like to have a doubt in that religion and the mental hoops you have to jump through and how that affects your friends and family. And then there's a series of loss and then it's sort of like, okay, all the losses, now we've arrived somewhere. Like what are these people doing with their lives on the outside? Mm-hmm. And we get to show that off and sort of celebrate. I mean, I think structurally, that's obviously correct. A little bit of background. The scene in question was actually a a record label um, called Nuclear Gopher. Um, It was something that my older brother and I uh, invented when we were in school. We were writing and recording our own music and um, just doing it for ourselves for fun. And we kind of would, you know, we'd make tapes and and we would sell them to our our, uh, school friends or we would uh we would we basically were just we'd take the money and go buy chinese food we were just kind of having fun and we we decided to call it the nuclear gopher cheese factory and then um i started uh into a computer programming job um in the early 90s and i got very very early on the internet like 1994 and um i was really using the nuclear gopher uh, stuff that we did as our sort of little fun hobby with a few other, and we had already expanded to a few other bands and friends who played music that were all witnesses, but it hadn't gotten huge yet. Um, 
I used that as sort of an excuse to learn how to do technology stuff. You know, oh, I could stream a stream our music online. Um, we could build a website with a little little theater on there where you could watch our music video, stuff like that. And um, so it was kind of a combination of me learning technology, plus my brother and I having done a lot of music, plus we would just run into other witness friends and do things. And so that's there's a that's the kernel that this all kind of came out of. And that gets explored in a lot of interesting ways with a lot of like one of my favorite things about the movie is it uses so much old silly stuff that we did, you know, like old clips from old music videos and specifically one particular music video called She Cooked Me Up and Ate Me for Dinner. Yeah. That's a great bit, yeah. Got a lot of people (laughs) upset at the time. Um, But it just illustrates how we were being just kind of silly and creative and having fun. And, um, you know, and what was funny was how infectious that was, how other other kids our age were going, wait, I can do that? And then, you know, and it it just grew like a a little underground uh, uh, virus, you know, (laughs) like, and, and, but we... Um, none of it was a plan. So it's just fun for me. Like that's, that's, that's the community that was being highlighted in the film. That's what this is all about. I've since found out there were, there's plenty of other witness communities doing music and other scenes that sprung up that we didn't know about at the time, obviously, Mm -hmm. but this one, the movie's really specifically about that one scene and all of us in the film, everybody who's interviewed, we were all members of that scene who are no longer witnesses. There are still people who are witnesses whose their work they were involved um and, and unfortunately you don't get to see a lot of the material um from back then because mm. the folks who did it are still witnesses and we didn't get their uh cooperation sure yeah i mean it's it's so interesting um obviously i remember from my my youth as a as a jehovah's witness um music was was a big thing to a lot of us and yeah there was always a few witness uh, brothers mainly who played guitar or who, you know, had a band and, and I, I did a little bit as well. And it was, it was a, an outlet that you could do, but there was always a, there was always a kind of worry about it. There was always a kind of, you couldn't do it carefree. It was always a, you were always treading this line, this tightrope, trying to make sure that the songs you played were okay. I mean, you guys did your own stuff, but obviously if you're doing covers, then you're mm-hmm. you're looking at every bit of lyric and you're thinking, oh, can I say that? Can I sing this? And what's this beat like? And what's this, you know? And in the end, it gets so... Um, at times I felt it got so difficult that, you know, what's the, what's the point, you know, I'll go play football instead. Um, but you know, I don't know if you recognize that. That's certainly how I do 100%. We, my, my mom was a singer in a witness cover band and, um, you know, when they would play a wedding, the, the elder who was the master of the feast would like vet their set list, like looking for the problems, you know? And it's like, this is the most vetted set list of all time. We only play witness weddings. (laughs) (laughs) They'd still occasionally get a song rejected which was crazy. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, all it takes is one line, you know, and then you've yeah. got this agonizing conversation of whether you can change that bit of lyric, you know, whether that's right to do. Oh my goodness. Oh, the song, <laughs> song ride like the wind. My mom's band changed the lyric. I was born the son of a lawless man. I always spoke my mind with a gun in my hand to, I was born the son of an honest man. I always spoke my mind with a pen in my hand. Oh my goodness. Like it couldn't even <laughs> allude <laughs> to the idea that one might have been descended from an outlaw individual. <laughs> <laughs> so one one of the other things about the film that I think is a theme that runs through. There's a few sort of little sub themes I think are really interesting. That is about the creative nature of you guys, and that that talks to the bit that you said how much you like to see all those um, those clips of you as as youngsters doing sort of slightly odd things and having. Um, crazy music videos and stuff um and i think that's that's a really interesting point we, we had a, a guest on well he's a friend of mine who's a cartoonist he's a caricaturist and he's also been a stand-up comic and his his analysis john was that um he he felt that often if you're very artistic um the congregation didn't necessarily like that very much it was it was kind of it didn't quite sit with the perfect kind of brother or sister um this is to both of you guys i don't know if you recognize that whether that's something you saw the witnesses are so completely obsessed with appearances Mm. whether it's that of themselves as a religion or their ideas or 
or down to the down to whether or not your hair of your sideburns is too long or how long how much ankle skin are you showing as a woman it's like mm-hmm. uh, so if you're outside the norm at all I mean they want people to wear it's according to like the 1990s watchtower and awake khaki pants and a polo shirt in like pastel and nothing else ever yes and like I'd show up after a skateboarding session to go to a meeting with the elders. And this happened one time at, we had like a new year's party and I showed up. I didn't even think that this was an issue, but I showed up with like jeans that were ripped because I'd you know, fallen in them on a skateboarding <laughs> ramp so many times. And like a Primus t-shirt. Cause I really liked the band Primus at the time that was also ripped. Cause that was my a skateboarding shirt. And, and I looked around, I was like, Oh, you guys dress up for this. This you're taking this so seriously. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know what they thought of me at the time, but I was accepted somehow, but I was definitely never going to like get any privileges. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, that, that, that whole thing comes out, I think in your film, which I think that's a very nuanced point that often isn't thought about, but as a, as a creative, I think it, it probably, it feels a bit different. It's not quite the same as if you're a, you know, very uh, quote spiritual person who's doing all the, all the things in a very um, sort of prim yeah. proper way. I think it, it oh. ends up affecting everyone, though, doesn't it? Not just if you feel if you feel yourself wanting to be out of, outside of it, even even if you, like if you have issues that you want to talk about. Um, we've got an interview coming up with someone called Donna soon, where it's um, you know there was things she wanted to talk to the elders about, but she feels like it gets pushed aside because it doesn't look good, and you know they don't want to be seen to not look good. So mm. you know it kind of ends up affecting everyone in different ways, I suppose, this, you know, need to look right and perfect and a good witness. There's a lot, of, there's a lot of managing of appearances. Uh, mm. I mean, the clothes that the clothes example, Scott said, I mean, I remember the one or two times I, um, I don't know. I, I wound up staying over at a friend's house uh, without realizing that was going to happen. And I hadn't brought clothes for the meeting and I had to go to the meeting in my street clothes mm. and just feeling like everybody was just staring at me because you don't do that but it's it you know you put on a uniform to go to the kingdom hall and to go door to door and then you put on your other uniform to go be at school or do other stuff and um i think that was a thing i strongly internalized was always presenting the right face yeah um on any in any circumstance and you know maybe that part of why you go a little bit crazy when you are on the creative face because you're like you know nobody's watching right now we can do whatever (laughs) (laughs) you don't even want to rebel you don't even know what you're rebelling against you're just like being free for a few minutes yeah Um, it's strange the um we recently did a review of the netflix special uh, unorthodox i don't know if you've seen it but it's about it's really um, good. yeah the hasidic um, community um in new york um and it's strange because I, I felt so much about that film that i recognized and yet you'd think that was quite a very different sort of community to jehovah's witnesses but i think that you know appearances matter so much about the way that um, people's sexuality is is um is constantly monitored and um, the protection of women stopping phrases exactly yeah. you know she'll say things and you realize that it's things you've been hearing that you just regurgitate and things like that so the, the film's about lots of different things as, as we've said really it's about it's about an indie record label it's about um music it's about you're trying to express yourselves artistically and it's about growth it's about all of those things uh, there's a word that keeps coming up in it though and and uh, ryan you talked about love a lot in this this film in fact a lot of the the people talked about love which is something that I think again, this speaks to what you were trying to do with this with this film. It's not about anger. It's not about bitterness. It's about love. Um, why do you think that was so important to talk about the way that you felt about the witnesses, both the people you grew up with and and also the people that are there now? Um, I, I felt that was really outstanding. I think the most important thing we're trying to do is is make it comfortable or make open a window or a door for people like mm. break down the wall that the yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses force our family members inside to erect this barrier, mm. a wall to communication with their own family. And that's unnatural and incredibly damaging and it ruins relationships. And that's the religion's fault. I, I feel like the people inside are still victims 
Yeah. I don't feel necessarily like a victim. I'm upset and bummed that I don't have a relationship with my family, but I don't feel like a victim. And I feel like that's what a lot of films do is they make, they try to make paint the picture that people on the outside are the victim. And yes, mm. we've suffered. People on the inside are trapped mm. and the religion forces them to do dangerous things um, or dark things or, you know, that we've, I've, mm. they always say that like you can see love by its works mm. and what they're doing, their works are is hatred and evil and unhealthy in many ways. Mm. And it's, I think this religion only changes by people on the outside speaking up because the people on the inside are not able to speak up They're mm. If they do, they get kicked out and they're all worried about that. So we have to speak up if we want something to change for those people that are still inside. I, um, so my family are still witnesses as mm. is obvious to anybody who watches the movie. Sure. Um, my, uh, brother, uh, who, who passed away and was my primary creative partner for a very long time. And the guy who I did nuclear gopher with, if there was like one word that shows up in every sentence that anybody ever uses to describe him, it's love. Mm. And the, uh, idea that, if you stop being a witness, you become this mentally diseased apostate and you just have nothing but hatred and bitterness for your former family. I think even hearing that when you're a witness in there is part of what keeps you in because you, you, if you believe that message, you kind of have to believe that if I start to question stuff, I make an opening for the devil. Um, I will turn bitter, angry, evil, um, I will hate these people I currently love. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've been at, you've been at conventions that were being like picketed and felt yeah. like those people there were like personally had animosity towards you. They really actually have animosity towards the watchtower and they're trying to help get you out. But man, that's hard to see from the inside. So it's kind of like, to me, it was like, it's really important to tell somebody who is inside that they can retain their personality. They can retain who they are. They can actually grow and be a more loving and more complete person after leaving and that they don't turn into this shriveled up caricature of an apostate. Right. And, um, and I think that's important for me personally, but also because I, I know that that is not a view of the religion I would want, um, associated in any way with my siblings who are still in or my brother who passed away. I, I, I think the, we may all disagree and they may never watch this movie, but I want to be able to say like, nothing here is made with a mean spirit. Nothing here is made with a, uh, you know, any, any personal animosity towards you or anybody else. It's to show that like, we don't need to be doing this to each other. This mm-hmm. is, this is not necessary. And, and, and the natural feelings are all still there, no matter if we're supposed to have become mentally diseased by no longer believing in this literature. Um, we're not, you know, mm. and I would love to see my family admit that to me at some point. Um, mm. But whether they do or not, other people need to, to have that message for themselves. Like, you're good. You're, you can still be a really good, loving, decent human being, even after you leave the witch, witnesses. And in fact, most of them are. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting that um, none of uh, well, I don't remember the word cult or the phrase high control group or anything like that talked about in the film. Is that is that because of that? You you just well, can I ask you why 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 did nobody refer to this group in these terms? Cindy calls there, it a cult once. Yeah, Cindy okay. does one time. Okay, and okay. I considered whether or not to leave that in or cut it out. Sure, but. We have, we have the woman's experience of leaving this religion in the film. And that was really important to me to get some of that. And there's more, obviously we cut everyone's interview down. There's only so much, sure. but I liked that the conclusion that she came to early on was that it was a cult and she had to get out somehow yeah. and it was difficult for her. But I, I, I liked that that came from a woman, um, mm. but we didn't harp on that topic or use that language beyond that. So yeah, I just wanted to have one little, one little stab from some person's perspective. I thought it was, it worked personally. Hmm. I, I 
think not using triggering words in the film makes it more relatable. Uh, and I, there's enough places on the internet to find out that the Watchtower Society is a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a, it's not a, 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 that's not anything any of us are have any controversy about, right? Like sure. we all, we all, we all know that. Yeah. Um, that's that's the film. But again, you're kind of trying to present the film as relating to the people, and um, it's its own genre, I think, in mm. terms of the ex witness um, material that's out there because I haven't seen anything like it and it is it is tried to be built around the people not built around the organization yeah absolutely yeah it's something that you know it will make you i guess if you do happen to watch it as a witness at that time you won't be as potentially standoff as you might be more willing to hear what people are saying um instead of yeah hearing that word and then kind of turning off um, yeah which is yeah really beneficial yeah, it doesn't it doesn't pay to become adversarial right away because as a witness mm. that just puts all the all the all, all the, the, the guards yeah. up, right? And that that defeats mm. the purpose. Are you like personally are you definitely hoping that um witnesses will watch it and and you know take stock from what you're saying? It's already happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, but yeah, at the uh the very very first time I saw this film in public um with other people, uh there were people who showed up there who um, were still technically witnesses. They hadn't left the religion because of this, but mm-hmm. they, they, this was like really helpful for them. And mm-hmm. and then um, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I think, I think it, it's weird because this movie tends to have a lot of people crying after watching it. Um, but it also tends to be very therapeutic for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. um I didn't know that was what it was going to be like either. Um, you know, so I think it's good that we didn't um, just, you know, make it a doctrinal thing. I wouldn't have won awards at anywhere if if we did that. You know, no, you have to connect to more things with more people. It's got to be resonant, resonating yeah. with people, whether they're witnesses or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think Looking that at- the vehicle of the, of the the music all the way through it is just it's just brilliant and it it just uh, enables you to um see it for many different things as i say it's a it's a music it's a it's a story of a band as well as as it is the um the experiences of the individual so yeah it's it's i really love the way you you've done that um i love that it ends with a music video instead of a bunch of takedown stuff about watchtower stuff it's way more fun (laughs) absolutely it is yeah absolutely. thank you for that scott Yeah, I mean, I wanted to make something that was entertaining and a celebration yeah. of of that life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some great music in here as well. I mean, it's um, it's uh, that that the the track that you have playing at the end of the film where you you sort of sort of close out. That's that's been rattling around my my head mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. So that's that's great. Are we talking about the high TV live performance or yeah. the credits yeah. rolling? Uh, well, well, no, before the credits, just before the credits. Okay. Yeah. yeah, both of those are high TV, but that is I great. do like it. They're both that great. Me was, yeah, that for me was like I want. I want that to. I want the. I love that song, and I wanted the film mm. to end on this like super high, like yeah. incredible rock song. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, that yeah, it really, awesome. really is good. Now it's in my head. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a there's something that I, I kind of am a bit obsessed with. Anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I'm obsessed with this. Um, with the question of identity. Um, so I've, I've studied psychology since I've been out, and this idea of identity is something that I, I think uh, the longer I was out, the more any struggles that I had, the more I kept coming back to this question. Um, how do you, both of you really, how do you see the journey once you leave the Jehovah's Witnesses um, of kind of m- making sense of who you are um, I think that's quite a personal experience, but could you, uh, I, I think you talk about some of it in the film, Ryan, but um, could you talk a little bit about that for both of you? For me, leaving it, I wanted to, I, it was a cold break for me, just cut off. Yeah. I was. I, I didn't really want to tell anyone. I've tried telling people about my experience in the religion mm. and it usually wound up with them sort of not understanding me even more. 
Um, it didn't help them understand me. And no matter how much you tell someone, it could be a 10 minute conversation or a five hour conversation. They will never really get it. Mm-hmm. And I could send them movies or links. And I just feel like I, I decided to keep it quiet for a really long time to coworkers, to friends, mm-hmm. people I was dating. And, and I felt that that was kind of a frustrating, like a bummer. Cause uh, I, there's a big part of my life and it shaped me in some way. And, and mm-hmm. in a way, like, like the Jewish culture, they get to still be Jewish if they're atheists yeah. and they get to celebrate and have fun with their family mm-hmm. and witnesses. I mean, I almost want to just like call myself a Jehovah's witness even to this day, partially because I think they would hate that, especially now that I'm in a movie, um, but, but also because it's like my culture, but people just think it's weird. And that's like, mm-hmm. as a, as a witness who grew up mostly in the world, um, people never understood me. And then leaving the witnesses, you tell someone you're from a cult and then they're like, oh, that's like, you're, you're a weirdo. So like, then they, you know, then they, they're otherizing you or mm-hmm. not, you're you don't, not included anymore in whatever they thought this community was or this friendship was. Anyway, um, part of me wanted to make this movie just because I was like, you know what, watch this movie and then we can have a conversation because then I think you'll know me and understand me and yeah. you will have a human to human, we can have a human to human experience. In terms of how you sort of think about yourself, how you describe yourself, would you say that you um, became a very different person when you left, or was that a was it a slow process of of self discovery? Or I think you left a, a, a fairly young. Is that is that right, Scott? Me, I yeah. well, I, I kind of I, I left at nineteen a little bit. Like I took a break for okay. like six months, and then right got sucked back in because of this music scene. Cause like, Oh, there's actually cool witnesses. I didn't uh, know that. Right, okay. I wasn't, you know, <laughs> me and my couple of friends weren't the only ones. Sorry to wreck uh, the stereotype. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, Oh, so well, when I left, when I finally left and it was another eight years, which is uh, frustrating. So I spent so much more time in there, mm. but I, for me, it was like, Oh, finally, like I, now I can just, I feel like I arrived. Like I can just be myself. And how amazing yeah. is that? I can have my wow. Thursdays and my Tuesdays and my Saturdays and my Sundays back <laughs> and I can go do the things I, I have, I used to do, but then mm. I don't for appearances or like, I don't get to do as much because of time. Mm. And it, for me, it was like, I landed instantly and I felt so good. I traveled and hit the road and like uh, me and my girlfriend left together at the time. But for her, it was a very different experience. She had never spent any time outside the faith group. So for her, it was like everything was a challenge and that sort of took many years for her, but it, for me, it was pretty instantaneous. Wow. I, okay. I had the exact opposite experience. I, I, rather than feeling like I had sort of arrived at my identity, I felt like I had completely lost it because, uh, so much of my identity was tied up in, um, in my relationship with my brother, music, and that community and also the witnesses right so it was like um i felt very that was a big part of why i did a lot of writing um uh honestly i think people thought i was writing to try to wreck people's faith and i was actually Mm -hmm. writing just to try to figure out what i believe now and who i am and and there was a a a friend of mine um who uh is mentioned in the film but um he's not in the film but he was one of the, the people behind one of our big music festivals and um he uh, was telling me how when he had his sort of crisis moment of, of faith and that he, he found himself sort of starting at square one, he called it a Cartesian brain dump. And he's like, I think therefore I am what comes after that. <laughs> and so he literally just kind of started at ground up and, and sort of rebuilt. And I, I think that I wound up at an identity when I was a witness, I always felt like I was of two minds. I always felt like there was kind of, you know, um, I even used to write songs about it when I was like a teenager. I would write about having, you know, feeling like I was two totally different people. And um, I feel very much like that the process for me was sort of synthesizing both sides of my identity, um, trying to incorporate the good things that I I got out of witness life and Mm -hmm. also be more fully who I am uh, the rest of the time. But it took years uh, and it really was kind of like I, I joke that uh, since I didn't celebrate any birthdays as a witness and I started celebrating them after that I am currently 18 years old. So I just hit adulthood for the first <laughs> second time. I'm at the yeah. beginning of second adulthood. True. Um, and uh, it really does feel kind of like that. I feel like I grew up all over again. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Dad likes to say that. Yeah, you like to say that we're the same age. Yeah. <laughs> it's on our little introduction to the i feel like i look like a slightly older 18 year old than you do so yeah i it's... won't pass but that's what i'm going with i remember i left when i was about 30 um so i went through a period of yeah i mean at first it was kind of i pretty much the same i was work, still working with my dad actually and it was all very kind of almost like I was still a witness really but then because yeah, you faded so you were still that's right yeah, yeah. so it was um, a weird in between but then I, I kind of I got this job and I was working with this little group of people and suddenly I, I was going out to nightclubs and um, uh, you know drinking and uh, doing all those things that I, I'd never really done before and it was um, yeah it was mm-hmm. like being a, an adolescent yeah I, I can definitely uh, relate to that yeah definitely mm. a little question as well um, for both of you is did you like really believe it until things started to fall apart and crumble or was it like you'd never believed it and then you were kind of finally liberated <laughs> like you know two different kind of paths maybe I absolutely believed it mm-hmm. yeah for me well I don't know if you have more to say there no okay. for me throughout my teenage years a lot of my friends were a lot of the people I met in the religion, uh, most of my friends were not witnesses because we didn't really have that many around mm-hmm. in the, the rural area. And my mm-hmm. parents were that close to it. But mm-hmm. I did meet witnesses through like playing basketball or whatever, or some, whatever the witnesses were doing. And then some were musicians and I ended up playing music with them. Um, but then within like a couple of years of meeting them, it was like 17, 18, 19, most of them left the religion. So I had met these like 16 or so or 20 witnesses and they are all, all but like one guy was out of the religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I'd seen this sort of like loss in a way and uh, wondered a lot about like why they would leave and what their reasonings were. And those relationships were pretty much cut off. And I was like, and I would still reach out to them because like I was open-minded and they were still friends. I considered them friends of mine and now they're, you know, now they're worldly or whatever, but so are all my other friends. Um, so for me, it was sort of easy, but, or, or interesting. And then, but I questioned all this stuff and I kind of realized like, I used to, I used to say this back then at like 1920, there's thousands, hundreds or thousands of reasons why you should leave this religion. That's easy to find a reason to leave this religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we were, we could see stuff on the internet or and there's books around, but just even like using, a, asking a single question and like trying to answer it and having, there'd be no answers from the Jehovah's witnesses to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reasons I, there were three reasons that I always said were like the reasons you stay were, was, and it's kind of laughable now, um, were uh, prophecy and the paradise. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember the third one now, but they weren't like, they were not great reasons. Like the paradise <laughs> is selfish because like I want to get there. Yeah. I don't care if there's a billion, nine billion yeah. other people die for me to get there. <laughs> okay. um, and prophecy, like you can poke lots of holes in that because mm. we don't know when the books were written. That's and right. the most likely story is that the thing happened and then someone wrote a book after that says yeah. how we knew before it happened that it was going to happen. Yeah, like, absolutely. So. Uh, uh, for you, Ryan, it was the flood, wasn't it? That was the, or the flood and the, um, and, and evolution. It was um, the, the ecosystem. Yeah, the ecosystem. Yeah, it was the ecosystem <laughs> was the first thought. What's the question? Let's frame it. Yeah. Is the Garden of Eden, a viable ecosystem. Brilliant question. <laughs> it is great. Just imagine, like, you know, in the middle of dinner, just all of a sudden, like, hang on. That's Excuse exactly, me. essentially, <laughs> exactly what happened. Like, I woke up in the morning. I don't know why, but that was, huh. No. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just like as a little little thread, start pulling on it, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Friends like also have you considered the flood <laughs> and it's just like oh, oh that guy <laughs> James <laughs> uh, James no, wrote he, a great book I'm just going to plug it while we're talking oh, about yeah. it oh yeah Deliverance at Hand yeah. The Redemption of a De- Devout Jehovah's Witness oh, yeah. um, I just picked it up so I haven't actually read it yet but it's on it's paper paper versions are available it's yeah, also in Kindle and, and, the, and the other um, before Scott made me a um movie star james made me the subject of his book so, no, i'm not the subject of james. i am in james's book because james and i have known each other since we were in like first grade mm-hmm. so um uh there's a lot of stuff about actually about nuclear gopher and stuff is, is like really? as like a side thread in that book 
but James's story is fascinating on its own. And he's uh-huh. a really, he's a really great guy. And I really, he, he, uh, I just, I, I really love his book. I've read it mm-hmm. twice. Oh, we need to grab him. We need to get him. Yeah. Get him on the post. Yeah. We need to you should get him. He's yeah. he's fantastic. Yeah. What was really cool about having him join. He he filmed the she cooked she cooked me up and ate me for dinner uh, video. Mm-hmm. He was the yeah, camera guy. That's how Ryan introduced me. He's like, oh, you want to know the camera guy? He also wrote a book, and maybe he'd be interested. Um, but he also filmed a lot of stuff. Like James Ryan gave me this like multi hundred gigabyte archive of video and audio content, and James also had his own stuff so it's like a big collaboration um that's always yeah. great as a filmmaker though when someone hands you some some b-roll because yeah. yeah. you never have enough b-roll <laughs> it's true yeah there's uh there's there's too much i i, I actually want it all to be out of my hands so that if anything ever happens to me, like the next generation gets to see all this because uh my brother's son is uh now an adult i've only met him once um Mm -hmm. my other brother has got two kids and i've never seen any of them so i hope someday they'll think this whole archive of stuff is pretty interesting to have on hand Mm -hmm. yeah i'm a custodian it's (laughs) great i mean when i was um growing up um you know i remember there's my my mum and dad and well my dad's brothers they had like a little reel-to-reel tape recorder and um, they they recorded a little bit a clip of them, just as young lads really in um, in Liverpool, just or St Helens near Liverpool, uh, talking to each other and everything. And we were just absolutely fascinated. There's something just completely um, fascinating about mm-hmm. listening or watching older stuff, especially if they're people you know. You know, you're watching mm-hmm. them, thinking, "Well, that's mm-hmm. yeah, they, they used to be like that." You know, they used to. Half be expected you to say, and their names were John, Paul, George, and Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, not. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, my uh, as I mentioned before, my mom sang in witness bands. Well, my mom was born into a Catholic family, thirteen kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, her dad and mom, both musicians. They had a reel to reel like that, and they did those yeah. recordings. And yeah. so it's like it, it's a uh, it's a beautiful thing to have available, you know. And mm-hmm. and I still I never met my grandfather, but I've heard him heard yeah. him sing, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. wonderful. That's fantastic. This um uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about um actually is is not kind of related to well directly related to the XJW thing. It's the craft. It's it's your craft. Um, you know, so you're a musician. Ryan and you're a filmmaker, Scott, you know, and you're, these are things that, that you're continuing to develop. And, um, I mean, one of the things that I studied, um, in my master's on psychology was how, um, ex Jehovah's witnesses used things like career and, um, education to help make sense of who they were. Do you think that, that these, the, these skills, these crafts that you have, have that, has that helped you to, develop yourselves and understand yourselves filmmaking is very time consuming and mm. um i love it i'm a very visual person mm. i come from the audio world but i'm very visual and yeah. when i was in v- i went to vietnam after leaving the religion and i lived there with the goal of like getting good at it again because i'd been big into the camera world and mm. when i was a teenager in early 20s camera film news all that stuff I worked at a tv station for a bit we made a lot of little micro documentaries about snowboarding and skateboarding and being in a band and had some fun with it back then and i wanted to like really explore that because i had so much fun with it um so in vietnam it was very much like met a couple of people in that space we made a lot of fun stuff together and i really just like dove all in i must have shot like 70 live performance music things and found my way to make it cool and like that was really i tied my de- identity up in that and i had a lot of fun and all my friends were artists and musicians and it felt like like a homecoming um, I made another film about that. Actually, I made a film about um, the Vietnamese music scene, like a North Vietnam mixtape, um, covering like fifteen genres, seven full-length music videos. Like that was like a fun, like okay, it's like my like thesis. You know, like I spent five years and I came out with this mm-hmm. thing at the end. Fantastic. And this film is sort of like built on the back. Witness Underground sort of built on the back of like everything I learned doing that. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, is it my identity? Yeah, I guess so. Like I feel very comfortable <laughs> there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, uh, Ryan. You're you're a musician. I guess you never stop learning when you're a musician. What, what's uh, what's your sort of ambitions for that? Well, it's kind of funny. Um, when I was uh, a witness, um, I leaned very heavily 
on uh, the skills of the other people around me to mm-hmm. um, uh, so I, I could I could write a song on an acoustic guitar and have some ideas in my head but then I'd show up at the studio and Rhett would fill in the drums and a bunch of stuff would happen and Brian would show up and play some whatever and like so I didn't have to learn all of it um, so one of the first things I did when I left and I realized I wasn't going to have that music community anymore as I started teaching myself other instruments and started learning how to do engineering and learning how to do production. And you can actually tell when you listen to my recordings, like they get better and better because I'm, I'm literally doing recordings where I'm experimenting and learning and figuring out how do I, how do I record? And Mm. I'm actually have become a very proficient and skilled engineer and producer I was not, you know, that I was a, I was a naturally, um, I think fairly, uh, f- I, I was a songwriter who knew what I wanted to do. I was a pretty focused songwriter, but I didn't really know all the rest of the craft. And when you use that word craft, I think about that. I think, you know, I was, um, identifying all of the pieces and that was kind of cool too, in terms of part, part of the recovery, um, from it was, it's kind of fun to have not just that your hobby, but you're also trying to work on expanding it and improving it. Something to focus on. So like a couple of years ago, I said, you know, I've had saxophone solos on several songs I've recorded where other people did it, but I don't know how to play a sax. So I bought a sax and I took some lessons and learned the basics. And I started joining different bands on instruments that I don't normally play. So I was like originally a guitarist. So I joined a band as a drummer or a keyboard player or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so all that what's really been fun about that too is it's helped me integrate more into the world because yeah. uh um I don't join witness bands. I'm not playing with witnesses. <laughs> it has nothing to do with witnesses. Sure. Um I've just expanded my network of local musicians and friends and and contacts and 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 I've gotten to like guest on different things and do different things and explore that world more. So it's been super useful because I think when it actually became much more clear after the documentary, just how insular our community had been, it didn't feel insular at the time. Um, but I, I realized we were at the, the, the guy who was interviewing us at the question and answer period on Friday he said that he was really kind of jealous because he used to be a booking guy and, and he used to, um, uh, he's like, I would have booked your guys' bands. I feel like I missed out on the greatest scene that I was happening under my nose and I didn't even know about it. And I'm like, well, we weren't trying to hide, you know, <laughs> we, were, I, we were throwing our stuff on the radio and we were doing our music, but it, yeah. we were insular in that we weren't connected to the rest mm. of the world. We didn't, yeah. we didn't get the benefit of being networked with other people, stuff like that. So it, it's, it's been really cool i feel like my uh music career never really could have flourished in that situation um and it has begun to get a lot deeper and richer and more satisfying Um, but that that was really uh an interesting side effect of all this i never saw coming really interesting great well um ryan you've got a hard out um in about four minutes so um uh, i guess um it's a good sort of time to to start wrapping up um i just wanted to say how much um i enjoyed the documentary i think i speak for you as well uh celine um tell us a little bit about the journey for the for the film scott um because i'm sure lots of our listeners will want to watch it so what's going to happen to it so we've played our 10th festival sound unseen film and music festival last weekend so it's our big homecoming premiere in minneapolis for ryan's at we have played a bunch of film festivals virtually and almost all of them are geolocated. So there's mm. one coming up in LA, December 10th 12th through 12th in called Filmocracy. And then there's one connect, uh, reached out to me from France called Fame, F-A-M-E. And that looks like a pretty cool music documentary film fest. Um, so, so those are, that's not, we're not selected there, but they're on the radar. And mm-hmm. we've, we've, we don't have many European ones for your European audience, but for American audience, that's still there's still a few more festivals probably coming, and then we, we hired a distribution person. Or, or he's called the producer's rep, so he's seeking yeah. distribution. Yeah. Um, so I'm self funding most of this. We did crowdfund back in the day, but mm-hmm. mostly I'm paying for everything now, mm-hmm. and that is a big chunk of ch- chunk of cash. But hopefully he'll like secure something that people around the world can be able to stream it like mm-hmm. on a big distribution network like right. Netflix or Amazon or something like that. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, keep us informed. Um, obviously we'll, we'll definitely let our listeners know what's happening with that, but that's, um, that sounds brilliant. 
If you want to watch something, just real quick, I'll just Mm -hmm. plug it because I'm thinking about it. Um, XJW coming out is a series I started a few years back that is like the prototype for this whole film. Uh And so season one and season one's season one's out on YouTube. On XJW documentary is the current title on the channel, and then the season two is just for patrons on Patreon. So we'll release some of that soon and do season three. And I think season three is going to be all related to Witness Underground. So all the stuff you didn't get to see in the film, all the side cuts will be like on the Patreon only for a while. And then to learn about the film and keep up to date, witnessunderground.com is definitely the best spot to stay tuned for everything. Awesome. Cool. We'll drop that all well, in the show notes so that people okay. can peruse that and, and get in yeah. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been absolutely brilliant speaking to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. I love this. Thank you for having us on. Yeah. Thank uh, you so maybe much have you on again yeah. um, soon with uh, with more stuff that you're doing. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Love We'd to love talk that. to you again. Thank there you very much. More. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 